Hello, I'm Alexia, and let me help you to take the fear out of birth with a mix of real-life positive birth stories and birthing experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing techniques for getting into the fearless birthing mindset. And join the Fearless Mumship community for bonus podcast episodes, access to free birth preparation downloads, and loads more stuff to help you to prepare for a positive birth. Join today at fearfreechildbirth.com. Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, today I'm super, super excited to be bringing you the birth story that I'm going to be sharing with you today because it's so much more than a birth story because today's birth story comes from a lady who also happens to be a doula, but also she happens to be somebody who specialises in helping pregnant women to overcome their fears. So we've got a real crossover of stuff to talk about during today's chat. And that is why it is such a long one. So I've never had an interview this long because there's just so much to talk about. But that is not the super thing that I'm excited about. The one thing that I really am excited about is that today's birth story is also the story behind a video that has gone viral. The birth video that goes with today's story has amassed over 54 million views to date on YouTube. Yes, today I'm going to be speaking to Simone Thurber, who is the lady behind the birth in the stream. How exciting. Now, Simone, the the conversation is just so interesting on so many levels that I really didn't want to press stop. This is why it's one of my longest ever interviews. So I hope that you will get a cup of tea, put your feet up and really sit back and enjoy this one because it really is a treat. There is so much that we talk about. There is so much. We talk about ultrasounds. We talk about what led to her to want to birth in a stream. This is her fourth baby. So what were the other births like? What fears did she have going through all of that? What made her decide to want to birth in nature? And what about putting the video up on YouTube? Did she ever think that this would happen, that so many people would be interested in seeing her birth. This and so much more is what we want, is what we end up talking about. But I have got a little, well, a big, big thank you to say before I hand over to that chat with Simone. I've had a reviewer who's left an iTunes review and I just want to give a big virtual hug to the lady who left this review. I don't even know her name because she's left some cryptic name on iTunes, but I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. So if this is you, I just want to give you a big virtual hug. Whoever it is, she said, I had the phobia of childbirth. Alexa, you saved me. I'm confident that I can handle it naturally, God willing, and at home for my first baby. She said that she was planning a C-section and epidurals in the works. This is very similar to my own story. Her baby is due this November. And she said, if you didn't live in England, I would give you a big, great big hug of gratitude for changing my life and bringing joy to my pregnancy. She's in the States. So whoever you are, then I'm giving you a great big hug back. And just to let you know that when I read this review and it's much longer than what I've read here I really did start crying it really touched me and it's really lovely when I get reviews like that it really helps me to power me on and uh, motivate me to get more brilliant episodes out to you that are going to empower you and help you to make confident decisions during your birth and and really to take out the fear and let you realize that this is your moment and don't let anybody push you about and tell you what you can't do and this is why today's interview is just so brilliant on so many levels because that is exactly 
what Simone talks about. She is the embodiment of the fearless birth. She's the embodiment of, of a woman that is empowered, that has done a ton of research to help her to prepare so that she could take her birth choices and decisions confidently, knowing that she was doing what was right for her and her baby and her family. And this is what birthing's all about. And she says, shares so much wisdom that really it's one of those interviews that I think you're probably going to want to listen to again and again and make notes and really just I don't know, just absorb it, wear it like a lovely warm blanket because there's just so much here to take on board as a, a pregnant mother, as a parent, as, as all sorts really. So um, without further ado, here is the time that I spoke to Simone Thurber about her birth in a stream and so much more. I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Simone, and thank you so much for coming on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Alexia. Now, I, I'm so thrilled. I really am so thrilled because your birth video has amassed to date about 54 million views on YouTube. And here we are chatting on my little podcast. I'm thrilled. Oh, oh it's such a privilege to be here. I cannot wait to hear the story behind this birth. But also, I really want to know a little bit more about you and, and how you came to want to do this and how you felt about all that. So, um, But before we sort of dive into all the things I want to know, I'm sure my listeners would really love to know a little bit more about, about you, about who you are and what you do. Okay, so I'm Australian, but I um, just got married this at the beginning of this year to an American. So I now live in Utah in the United States, but I was born and bred in Melbourne in Australia. I've got four daughters. I've got two teenage daughters. They're 18 and 16. And then with Nick, the 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 father in the video, he's passed away, but I've got um, a four and six-year-old daughters. So Peruse, who was in the video, is now four and a half. Okay. And I am a qualified journey practitioner, so it's a modality called The Journey, pioneered by a woman named Brandon Bays, and it's a form of emotional clearing that works at a very deep cellular level. And if you want to, I can explain how that go, how that works a little bit. But basically, it sort of works on clearing imprints, beliefs, um, trauma, emotions that have been stored in our cells, and that can be from conception all the way through to something that happened yesterday. And I've been doing that for over a decade, and I've always been fascinated in birth. I had two wonderful water births with my first two um, daughters in a birth center, and. So I wanted to concentrate my practice on helping parents, particularly pregnant women, clearing their fears around giving um, birth. And also I came across quite a lot of women in my practice who would come to me for other reasons, but then they would often hit on the fact they'd had a diffi um, difficult experiences with childbirth or quite traumatic experiences to the point that some did, never wanted children again after their first one. So I found that I was often working with women clearing um, pain and trauma around their childbirth experiences. So besides wanting to prepare myself for having unassisted birth with my last two, I decided to do my doula training to support my journey practice. So I have I have attended birth as a doula, but that's not my primary focus. My primary focus is actually working one-on-one -on -one with parents um, to clear their fears or to 
heal trauma that's happened. Mm. So I'd love to know a little bit more about the the journey work that you do, actually, because there are quite a lot of uh, le- you know women that listen to this podcast that have had those difficult first births, and some of them are writing to me now. Some of them saying, you know, I really want a second one, but I, you know, because I, I I do emotional clearance work as well. You know, is it possible to get rid of this emotional memory? Can I can I move past this? Because right now it feels for them that they don't. So would you mind just talking a little bit more about how how you work with people on, on trauma? Yes. Yeah, Sure. So Brandon Bays is an American woman, but she's actually married to a Welsh man. And she she worked many, many decades ago with um, Anthony Robbins. Many people know him as the personal development guru. And she used to teach his nutrition side of his seminars. So she would, you know, teach thousands of people about nutrition and health and how to look after the body as well as, you know, all the sort of mind emotional stuff that Anthony teaches and she was very familiar with the work of say Deepak Chopra right in the very early days so you got to remember this is sort of like 20 25 years ago where a lot of this stuff was less well known and more fringe not so mainstream as it is now and anyway she developed a tumor in her uterus and she sort of was familiar with um, how the body and emotions relate and how you can store emotions in the body and anyway, the whole process, and I won't go into that, is how she cleared it just by accessing some, a traumatic memory from childhood that was stored in the cells and then had manifested as a, a tumour. And just by reaching a very, very deep place of release and forgiveness, she was able to let go completely that experience, which she had done a lot of work on. She thought she worked on it. She thought she'd worked on this issue and she realized there was a big difference between acceptance and actual forgiveness and completely letting go. And so then from her own experience and clearing this, you know, sort of small basketball sized tumor in her uterus in six weeks, she then, you know, went on to refine her own process that she'd had experientially and then create this process that works a little bit it's a little bit with hypnotherapy and nlp but she sort of borrowed from a lot of different modalities and come up with something that's very very powerful and it is it's hugely powerful i've used it on myself and the great thing is you can use it on children most adults sort of take about two hours to do a process uh children like about 15 minutes because they're really good at moving and not getting stuck in their issues but um yeah it works great with children i've even worked with babies before so oh wow yeah, it's 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 very very powerful, and I love it. I love the work that I do. I get so much gratification out of helping people mm-hmm. on any issue, but particularly my passion is around birth. Yeah, no, I totally totally relate to all of that. I mean, it sounds like we do very similar work using a different technique, but mm. yeah, the the reward and the satisfaction and the I don't know fulfillment, whatever you want to call it, the just feels it's just yeah I absolutely love when when people come back to going oh my goodness I can't believe that I went into that situation and yeah nothing all that stuff that was there is no longer there and it's just so lovely yeah no fabulous fabulous so thinking about your own um, I'm just thinking that you're bringing this back to sort of you and the birth that you know we're going to be talking about in a bit what what, talk me through a little bit more about your family and and how you know the, the pregnancy that led to this 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 birth that we're going to be talking about and the kind of where you were at I guess in your life. Well, I I guess you know like I look back and each birth prepared me for the next one, and I think a lot of women maybe who've had multiple children could probably speak to that. And that doesn't mean that you can't have three great births and then the fourth one's really hard. But for me, I always think as birth giving birth for for a woman is a rite of passage. And it's a opportunity to 
really sort of look at your life. I think there's so much life force that supports a lot of clearing that happens during pregnancy that really makes you take stock and of who you are and where you're at and what you're doing in your life. And I think each child is different and so they sort of prompt different um, questions in you and they, and they really motivate you to dig deeper into who you are. So, I mean, that's my personal and not everyone wants to do that journey, but I love that about birth and I find that I you know, work with a lot of women who have that experience. And so my first two births were pretty simple. I had water births, both of them with the same midwife in the same birth centre and they were, I loved them. I loved birth. I remember after my first daughter was born and it was a long labour. It was 24 hours and two hours of pushing. But but besides that, it was, it was okay. And I remember like straight after the birth going, Oh, I can't wait to do that again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was on that real high. Yeah, I know that I, feeling. And I, and I think I've just always been someone who has been quite intuitive. There's always been that voice, that little voice that speaks inside of me that, you know, sort of 20 years ago, I probably, when I was, you know, 22, 23, didn't listen to it as much as I do now. And I've, I've been practicing that. But I remember when I was pregnant with my first one, you know, just being at work and all of a sudden, um, and I'd never heard the term, I'd never seen it written, I hadn't read, you know, anything, but I was only a couple of months pregnant and pregnant and the word water birth just popped into my head. And, you know, this is back in, you know, 20 years ago, sort of most people just went to the hospitals, you know, few, I didn't know anyone that had home birthed. I didn't, I the best that most people were doing was doing it with no drugs in the hospital. That you know, that was sort of my you did it with drugs or you didn't do it with drugs and that was it. So I remember water birth popped into my head and I just did research, research, research and then found a, a birth centre. There was only a couple in Melbourne that did water births and, and I think from that moment on I just started to really think about birth very differently. Mm. And then I separated from their father and I met Nick. And sorry, I get a bit emotional because you know, obviously he's passed away. So, um, and we were very, very like-minded, very, very like-minded about everything. And he really got me, and he loved me unconditionally, and he gave me a lot of space to be myself and to explore areas of my life that I had never explored before. And you know, I'm somebody who always wants to just go deeper and more expansive. And so. I was, had just finished my doula training when I met him and then we got pregnant quite quickly with our six-year-old and so we were just going to do a home birth with a doula, not a midwife, just with a doula. And that brought up actually more fears for me than any other birth. And I know people probably think that's quite funny because really? then I went off and gave birth in you know, the forest. But yeah. it sort of... Make the making the mental leap from even though I'd given birth in a birth center, it I still had that security blanket of it being attached to a hospital and having midwives and having medical support if I wanted to. So, yeah, it was a big leap for me to to give birth, and I found that throughout that whole pregnancy, I had a lot of fears, and I was so surprised because I had no fears with my first two, none at all. So, what kind of fears were, were coming up for you this time around? Then I just. Uh, just of all the things that could go wrong and feeling, you know, it, it wasn't a particular fear. It was more just this overwhelming fear of stepping outside of the status quo mm. and just 
I, I felt very sort of alone, which is funny because I had a lot of doula friends. I'd done my doula training. I was quite involved with birth community. So I had a lot of support, but I just, it, it, it was just sort of that stepping outside of the strong medical paradigm that we had just brought mm-hmm. up a lot of fears, but I couldn't actually identify any of them. And after, and, but I was surprised because I'm not generally that kind of fearful person. But what I realized after a while was that they weren't my fears. I realized that I was actually feeling the fears and this is what it felt like for me because I couldn't actually find anything personal and and I had no reference for my other two births to have this fear. But I realized that I was feeling a lot of the fears that other women feel, other parents feel because I come across that all the time. And so I I just felt like I was just feeling this thick consciousness of fear that was around birth that just exists generally in the public, in the, you know, medical system, in parents and just this. So it just felt like this thick blanket of fear that exists around birth and I was just acutely aware of it. So, And it created a lot of compassion in me because I think up until then because I'd had two fantastic births, I'd done it my way in a birth centre, it was completely how I wanted it and and they were easy births, I think that I didn't, have I didn't understand other women having to overcome their fears because I hadn't had any Mm. and so this in the end I was grateful for the experience of feeling this fear because it really did create a lot of compassion of what other people have to come overcome and you mentioned that yourself that with your first you had to overcome all these fears and I hadn't had that experience before so Mm. in a way I look at my third birth as the as the most (laughs) For me, the, one of the most defining moments. And then my, and then our doula, and I think also because Nick had never had children, so he had some fears around um, giving birth at home, which I had to deal with his fears. And then our doula got sick the last week before our baby was due. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't, I didn't really have any other backups. But by then I sort of, Nick had got used to the idea of giving birth at home. He'd overcome his fears and... And I, I was passing through my fears. So I was just like, I just looked at him when I got off the phone and she rang to say, you know, I'm really, really sick. I don't think I'm going to make it to the birth if, she, if you go into labor in the next week. And and I and I, I just want to speak to that point too because I had a feeling that this doula wasn't completely 100%, even though she'd agreed because she was my friend, I think she wasn't 100% completely comfortable with coming to an unassisted birth without a midwife. So I kind of thought it was interesting that I'd picked up on some of her fears and then she got sick right at the end. Mm. So um, so I think that's, you know, something that people often don't realise that they're often women when they're pregnant are so sensitive that sometimes their fears are not their own. Sometimes their fears are, are from support people or from their partner or, you know, even the midwives or doulas or the doctors that you go to where you're very open and energetically to picking up on other people when we're pregnant. So a lot of the time I I help women identify what's their fears and what's other people's fears that aren't even vocalised. So anyway, so I got off the phone from our doula who said she was too sick to come to the birth and I just got, I told Nick and I got off and I looked at him and I just said, do you want to do it on our own? And he said, okay, I'm ready. Oh, wow. (laughs) And we were, by that stage, it was like literally one week before she was born. It took that long to get ready to just completely go unassisted. And she was my quickest labor. I was in labor for, you know, what depends when you start counting, but sort of four to six hours. Mm. I gave birth in the water. It was 
I wouldn't say it was orgasmic, but it was definitely pleasurable. I found that in you know in the contractions, I could find that pleasurable moment where it was just, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was the most incredible birth. And so, how? Did, let me just talk talk a little bit more about the fact. I mean, this is a first time unassisted. So, how did that? You know, did did you feel like all gung ho about? Yes, we can do this. We don't need anybody. We can do this. Or how? How did that? I don't know. I mean, this just sounds fascinating. That a week from birth, you went, yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> well, I mean, we're technically almost unassisted with having a doula there, in the terms that we didn't have a medical professional like a midwife or a doctor. So. Um, you know, it, some people have a di- different definition of unassi- unassisted, but having a doula there is, is almost there. <laughs> so I don't know. It just felt really right. It just felt really natural. It was a. It made Nick and I very, very close because it was it was us, and then I had my two teenage daughters and my mother as well there, mm. just to watch. And my daughters were amazing. They were they were so present. I mean, I think they were. 12 and 10 at the time I think and yeah they were incredible so it was just it just felt right we just did it in our living room and it was easy and Nick was totally in tune with me and I was just totally surrendered into my body and it was quick and I yeah there was no thought once we made the decision there was no thought about it It was just like okay that's what we're doing and it just felt really 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 natural and I was a high after that I was really really was and so did you have did you have any like you know if were you far from a hospital at that point I mean if you needed help could you've got it or what was the setting in that sense yeah we were like five minutes down the road from a hospital we had gone to visit that hospital so that if we needed to go there we're familiar with it and Um, same, you know, same with my last pregnancy. I only went to the doctor once to have an ultrasound and I'm actually not keen on ultrasounds at all. And I, if it was my preference, I, I would probably avoid them. But, and that's one, you know, that's one of the things when you talk about fear, I remember early in that pregnancy, I fainted on the train going to work and I'd never fainted in any of my pregnancies before. And I know, you know, the logical mind and I'm a trained doula says fainting in pregnancy is not unusual and I understand all the biological reasons why that can happen. But for some reason it never happened to me and I I, I never fainted in my life and it was a really freaky experience for me and I was going through some emotional distress at the time you know, some personal stuff in my life. And I just felt really unstabilized by that. And I, and Nick and I didn't want to have an ultrasound, but I was so stressed by the and upset by the fact that I'd fainted. I said, I just, I have to go. I have to go and see if the baby's all right. I have to go. And I, and that sounds funny to me now, but I understand that when you're, in preg- when you're pregnant, you've got this hypersensitivity. And, and Nick first was trying to reassure me and say, you know, I know, you know that you're, the baby's fine. You know you've just fainted. And I said, you know what, in this case, I just think that I'm going to stress about it so much that let's just go. We'll have a really quick ultrasound, just check everything's okay. And so he agreed. And so I understand. I understand mm. the fear that we have in pregnancy. And mm. sometimes you have to make choices that aren't exactly what you want to do, but it's kind of like choosing between which stress is worse. You know? Yeah, yeah. And just talking about the ultrasounds a bit, I mean, I've read a lot about ultrasounds and why they might not be a good idea, but f- for anyone listening, um, would you mind just sharing your perspective on why you didn't want an ultrasound? Well, because <laughs> because there's no medical, or there's no scientific studies that have done, um, that have been done on what the repercussions can be. So it is quite experimental and this idea that we're sending waves um, through the through the baby through the baby's 
body and its brain while it's developing and the cells are multiplying and dividing. We don't know yet what that does to a human. We don't know what it does to their to their brain, to the neural pathways, to everything. You know, you got to imagine all these millions of cells that are multiplying and, and growing and all these hormones that are flooding the system at all this different time and then you throw in an ultrasound which is sending these waves through the body. We don't know how disruptive that is and how it can actually change things. And and I remember, you know, sort of like 18 years ago when I was pregnant, 19 years ago when I was pregnant with my first if you went for an ultrasound, they would only do maybe one in the pregnancy around sort of 12 weeks, anyway, tw- between 12 and 18 weeks, and they would never do another one unless they thought that you needed one. And also they were quick. I remember they were like about half an hour. And I've seen a change in that time where parents just think, oh, you know, get an ultrasound, I'm going to get one at like eight weeks and 12 weeks and 20 weeks and and they have, you know, three or four in each pregnancy and I was shocked when I went um, to have one when I fainted with my six-year-old that it was an they wanted to do it for an hour. I was just like, no, I'm like, you know, because they wanted to check every single little thing and I was just like, no, I don't want it for an hour. And I remember laying there and I, I could feel, I mean, I am really highly sensitive, but I could feel after about 20 minutes that it started to feel like something was heating up inside me. That's the only way I can describe it. And I remember the baby was really, really calm up until that point and then she started to get really agitated and I just said, stop. I just was like, okay, don't do it anymore. And then when I did have an ultrasound again with my fourth one because I was going off to give birth in the forest and I remember speaking to the ultrasound technician and I said, look, I really just want a really quick one. I just want you to check for these couple of things, rule out anything major. And I, and she said, well, we're supposed to do a proper one. And she said, I'm actually supposed to do it for um, 45 minutes. And, and she said, but you, she sort of, she was saying that from a legal point of view, she had to do it for that long. And I said, well, you know, I don't agree. And she completely understood she said i i understand where you're coming from and she completely agreed that there's no scientific support for what well, there's no you know scientific research on that what damage this could possibly be doing to um, babies and she said so what i recommend is that you just say you're feeling uncomfortable and you want to get off and and when you're ready so she sort of she sort of gave me an out as to how mm. i could terminate it when you know it was too soon so when it was enough for me. So even the technicians themselves understand, but the problem is a lot of the technicians now that are being trained in this aren't necessarily medically trained and they're not and, and they're using much stronger equipment now. And of course there's the three D ones. So babies these days are getting longer ultrasounds, more ultrasounds in a pregnancy and with stronger waves. So it's 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 a concern for me. It's, and I think I, I recommend any pregnant woman does her research on it and make up her own mind. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I also think it's worth mentioning just briefly the uh, use of ultrasounds for dating scans as well later on in pregnancy and how that might, you know, it's known that a lot of due dates are replaced by the dating scan that's done by an ultrasound and they become more inaccurate as the birth goes on, as the not birth goes on, as the pregnancy goes on. And a lot of women don't realise that. They think, oh, well, the dating scan says this. And it's like, well, if it happened... 
you know, after 20 weeks, it could be up to three weeks out. You know, actually, that's not yeah. probably the most accurate way of deciding whether to be induced, you know, which again is a <laughs> huge right. issue for a lot of women that when they're facing that kind of pressure. So, um, yeah. so anyway, back, back to, back to you and your wonderful story. <laughs> I don't want to digress too much into ultrasound debate. Um, so back, so, so that was your, um, I get confused. Third. 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 Yeah, yes. third I get confused, don't worry. <laughs> and so that was a very quick one. You said four to six hours. Yes. And um and I so I presume that baby was fine, it was all lovely. Did you, oh, did you... she was yeah? perfect? Yeah, she was perfect. Yeah. And I didn't I never went for a checkup and you know, I was fine. I delivered the placenta easily and yeah, it helps that I'd had two prior births, so I knew what to expect. Um, and I just loved it. I loved being at home. I just thought it was, and yeah, for me, I just this whole thing about a baby coming in onto you know out of the womb where it's been so protected and it's and everything's been muffled and the dim light and and I just love the thought that this baby comes out and the first people it meets and the only people it meets is is the family's voices that it's heard for its nine months and it comes out into a dimly lit environment. It comes out to an environment that it's already biologically prepared for, including its, you know, its immune system is already prepared for the environment of the home because that's what the mother creates antibodies in relation to you know, her own home life and her own environment and her children and her partner and everything. So the baby just comes out into an environment that's already very familiar. And there was no no having to go anywhere. It was just snuggling you with my family. It was just mm. bliss. I loved it. And no. you probably know you've had a home birth. Yeah, yeah, no, it is lovely. It is just lovely. And so um, did you get little one checked out at that point or did, you know, did you have to consult? Did you sort of take the little one into hospital at some point or get any medical checkups done after birth? Or no. did you just that you just carried on freewheeling it as it were no yeah yeah i i because i didn't really have any checks during the pregnancy Mm. and she came out fine and she was functioning you know she was breastfeeding and we did a um what's called a lotus birth for your Mm. listeners who aren't aware of what that is it's where you leave the umbilical cord attached to the placenta and the baby and let it drop off naturally so that was the first time i'd done that and so yeah we just you know, let the placenta drop off naturally. I mean, I I am someone though who research, research, researches the crap out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, I like I love feeling empowered both intellectually and emotionally about mm. things. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of people can read a lot of stuff, but there's a difference when you do your emotional clearing as well. Mm. Um, and the two come together, then you have a very embodied knowledge it's not it goes beyond just sort of reading stuff and thinking oh okay you know i know that or that sounds good when you do your emotional clearing you allow the knowledge then to have a place to really embed and take root Mm. so by Mm. then you know i've been a practitioner for sort of eight or nine years so i've done a lot of emotional clearing on myself and so many aspects of life and i felt very at peace within Mm. who i was and the choices Mm. i was making and Mm. Yes, I know. I completely understand that, and also that level of emotional clearing over that sustained over a number of years will really help to hone your intuition. And I, one thing I wanted yes. to talk about and ask you was, you know, it sounds to me like you were very much in communication with your baby in otherworldly ways, not otherworldly, but in ways that maybe people that aren't familiar with that depth of emotional clearing might fully appreciate. But it sounds like your intuition and 
knowing of the, the state of your baby and how happy your baby was was really really quite quite developed and so when you have that level of knowing and intuition you 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 are there is no way that you'll do anything that will be harmful because you just know whether you you should proceed that way or not don't you it's really hard to describe it sounds like you were in that place of just really knowing so deeply within you definitely I think one of the things that I teach people which I've had to learn and it's definitely a practice is that we live in a society where there's so much information and there's so much this is right this is wrong black and white and we get used to being told what to think from a very, very early age by everybody, but we also are often told what to think and how to think, but we're also taught that there's definitive answers for everything. And so one of the things that I have learned and I teach others is how to live in the unknown, and that's scary. Mm. <laughs> As I've become... Yeah, you know, it's not scary for me now, but I remember when I the, the, my terror of the unknown was huge. I wanted to know everything, and I wanted there to be a definite answer, and I want to know it all now. And pregnancy, especially, really taught me that it was a journey. So you know how I was saying that you know giving birth, the thought of giving birth at home was a leap, and then having just a doula and not a midwife, and but it was a journey through the pregnancy each step of the way, and we really truly weren't ready to have an unassisted birth until one week beforehand. Now, for a lot of people, they don't like that; they want everything planned out, you know, mm. <laughs> because they think if it's planned out, and I know step A, step B, and this if I do A, B, C, then all these things are going to happen in sequence. Now, it rarely does but people like the comfort of thinking that it's going to happen and then they're quite they're not quite prepared when it doesn't go to plan so i find that when you live more in the unknown and you take each step as it comes then you can be responsive to the next thing that happens and so that's mm. what I, I teach people to do is take the next step and then see what's you know what needs to happen and then take the next step and then see what happens so it's an unfolding life is continue unfolding and mm. pregnancy especially can be like that because a lot of the structures that are normally in place that we've become so used to such as the fact that we live in quite a masculine paradigm and society with a very with very linear time very you know straight lines a lot of left brain thinking you know women spend a lot of time in that kind of masculine world or in their in their own masculine and pregnancy comes along and kind of strips a lot away a lot of that. So many women say, oh, my God, I've got pregnancy brain or, I'm, you know, I'm too tired and I can't do the things that I used to do. And I'm like, great, <laughs> that's really good. That's your body actually slowing you down and you have to start to listen to your body and you've, and you've got more of a reason to. And when you're not – when you can't think – you think you can't think properly, it just means that your left brain's not dominating your thoughts now. So it's an opportunity to tap into your right brain, which is the creative, imaginative, more intuitive side of your being and we're not we're, that's kind of like a muscle that's atrophied in most people in modern mm. western society so, i love how you've just described the pregnancy brain i have not come across <laughs> that before and i think it's beautiful i think it's brilliant and and yeah it is absolutely that now that i've heard you say all that i'm like yeah 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 i'm totally like you know going yeah all, i'm totally up for that and i totally understand that and and also listening to what you've just been saying about the idea of just being able to sort of live from moment for moment it really is this sense of just relinquishing control which is such an important aspect of birth and being a parent is this idea that you might be in control of something is, oh, is an yeah. illusion anyway you know <laughs> so is. but people like to think they're in control by having a plan and by knowing that x uh, x and y will happen 
And it's like, uh, uh, just just be okay with the unknown, as you call it, or not being in control and just let go of all those expectations because it's this expectation of outcome that creates stress and, and fear. Whereas if you have no expectation of outcome and you literally go from moment to moment, you are surrendering to the beauty of, of what's going to happen. And yeah, and there's there's beauty within that kind of not knowing and, and treading each moment as it comes. And certainly I've found that going through my own emotional clearance stuff, I'm moving more to living like that than than before. And having a plan just completely freaks me out. And I'm like, I don't want a plan. <laughs> so that's so restrictive. I just want to be free to do what I want from moment to moment. So yeah, yeah it's great. It's great that you... Um, Absolutely. I think the way. thing is that people are afraid that if they don't have a plan and then they... And that's not to say you can't have backup plans. You can't have a plan at all. Of course you can. You can have your sort of... But it's a loose-fitted plan that you know is flexible. And a lot of people are afraid that if I don't, if I don't know, then how will I respond in a moment that I'm not prepared for? But the thing is that it actually frees you up. Mm. You actually learn to trust that in the moment you will know what to do because you're accessing more than just the left side structured plan oriented linear aspect mm. of yourself. When you let, mm. when you allow that to relax, not go away completely, but just allow it to relax. And then you allow your right brain to be more developed, the imaginative, intuitive, creative, free part of you. Then when a moment comes up that you're, haven't prepared for you're not you didn't expect you actually have more access to your your brain and your body to respond far more creatively with far more resources to the moment but most people are afraid that's why they like to have these structures in place so mm-hmm. you'll actually have more you know, <laughs> it yeah it takes time it takes time to learn that yeah no i appreciate that now i'm thinking about your recent birth now then and, and just yes. thinking about the idea of plans <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at what point did you plan to go 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 for the whole stream option for your birth or being out in nature what point did that come up as an idea in your mind oh so I'm gonna kind of backtrack so when I was still married with my I was married for 15 years I had my first two daughters and when I first started thinking about doula training it was towards the end of that marriage and I was thinking about doula training I hadn't quite started and I so I was already starting to look at things on the internet. I think my children were already about sort of eight and ten at that stage. So I wasn't pregnant. I was just thinking about birth and having another child at some point. And I came across Eleanor Tanetti and her birth into being work. And I came across this video on the internet called Birth As We Know It or Birth Into Being. And I ordered it and I decided I, I knew she was Russian and I've my on my maternal side there's Russian Lithuanian background so my grandmother's Russian and my mum and my aunt speak Russian and so I knew that this woman was Russian and I knew that some of the footage had you know Russian women in it so I thought oh you know let's just watch it with my mum and my grandma and my aunt and it'll be fun and um and I'm sitting there watching it with them and I see this I see this footage of these women and these families going and giving birth in the Black Sea. And so I'm seeing this very primal image of a woman in the ocean in these beautiful little rock pools giving birth with, you know, waves sort of crashing in the background. And I just remember my whole body just, it was like it just lit up like a Christmas tree and I just went, Oh my goodness. And I just, and I don't think I said anything to anyone because, you know, I thought, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. But I was just like, this is the most amazing, beautiful thing that I have ever seen. But it was like my whole body just went, of course, 
it was just that, of course, that's mm. what we're meant to do. Well, at least what I was meant to do. And it just felt so real and so much a part of life and so pivotally human to be watching humans giving birth to humans in nature. And I, I, I can't describe it any other way, but it just felt like the most real thing I had ever seen. Mm. And I think from that moment on, I just went, I want to give birth in the sea. I want to give birth in the sea. I want to give birth in the sea. And, and then I remember when I was doing my doula training, I had a lot of more of those feelings because we did a lot of meditations in our doula training. And I remember having meditations about, um, you know, like American Indian women, and that was long before I'd come into America. But it was sort of, you know, these. It, I felt these sort of tapping into these tribal cultures and how they might have given birth, even though I'd never seen any footage of those, and I still haven't. I just sort of was felt like I was tapping into all these different cultures across the world, across um, periods of time before industrialization. And, and I'd also have images of myself just sort of I'd imagine going out and just being pregnant and just walking out into the forest and just squatting next to a tree and giving birth and then walking back to the house, you know. <laughs> like I would just have these images constantly filling, filling me up and I, you know, would speak to others and nobody else was having those kind of images and although they thought they were lovely. And, and I just had this, I just, this strong desire to give birth in the sea. And then, of course, I got divorced and then I met Nick and we got pregnant and I, with my third birth, the one that I've talked about, I really, really, really wanted to go and give birth in nature. But we didn't, we didn't have the funds, and I just also was like I was describing, it was such a leap to give birth at home that I just sort of didn't emotionally have the resources within me. It just felt like too big a dream to sort of even. Just, and I thought I wouldn't have any more than after her. I thought she was my last. So I was kind of disappointed because I thought, oh, well, it's just a dream and it's not going to happen. But after I had her and I gave away all my stuff and I thought, because I had a very hard pregnancy with her and I was just like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> not doing that again. Yep. The birth, Nick, tomorrow, not the pregnancy. Yep. Yeah. And Nick was an only child, so he was quite happy with one. And, you know, and so, but I just had this feeling that I wasn't completely done. Again, mother's intuition. And, and then we got pregnant with Peruse, our last one. And, and it was funny because I remember we moved house and so I was, you know, I was busy with a toddler and I was, we'd just moved house and, you know, if the third pregnancy was hard, the fourth one literally almost killed me. And no, I'm not joking. I'm not a drama queen. It literally almost killed me. And, and I just forgot about it. And I know that seems absolutely ridiculous. Like for four or five years I'd carried this dream of giving birth in the sea and I had just forgotten about it. I was, I was so busy and, you know, three kids and a toddler and moving house and, and as just it didn't occur to me. And then I remember about I must have been five, almost six months pregnant, just sitting in the lounge room one day and it was literally it popped back into my head again and it went, you're going to give birth in nature and this is your last chance. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I forgot about that. And so I started to talk about it with Nick and we, we had some money by then because living in Melbourne, even though she was due, she was, she was born in February and that's a very hot time. It's the hottest month of the year in, in Melbourne. That's our summer. Melbourne's very unpredictable in its weather. So you can have, you know, unexpectedly cold days. You can have lots of rain. 
and the oceans are quite cold because um, of where they open out onto the sea. So I've got a lot of friends who live sort of in Byron Bay and Queensland and, you know, high up in Australia. And so I put a message out, a private Facebook message to all my friends who lived higher up in Australia and said, I want to give birth in the sea and can anyone help me find a nice little private sort of rock beach cove? Does anyone know of something local to where they live? And, yeah, I got quite a few responses. I also got a response to give birth in a tea tree lake. Um, tea tree is a is a, a old tree that is in Australia and a lot of people would be familiar with tea tree oil. Mm. And there's a lake in Byron Bay where all these tea trees grow and so the water is supposed to be considered quite therapeutic. And I had heard already, I knew, I knew this, that apparently um, – Original Native Australian women used to go there during pregnancy and, and have, you know, as women would go there and and sort of soak in the waters and meditate and support each other. And so I sort of thought, oh, you know, that was a possibility to go there. But I was really, 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 really stuck on the I want an ocean birth. That was my dream that I'd carried for six or seven years. And then our friend Ron, who lives in the Daintree, he was actually over in India. He was working in an orphanage over there and he got my message and he just responded with a, come to the day tree, come to the day tree, I'll, you know, come, I've got a beautiful house, come and stay with me, I'll look after you and your family and you know, I'll support you giving birth. And But I knew after talking to him a little bit that because of being in far north Queensland and because of the ocean's very warm at that time that they get stingers or you know, jellyfish infestations in the ocean at that time. And so I knew that if I went there, I wouldn't be able to give birth in the ocean. Although we did for quite a while play around with the idea of putting up stinger nets <laughs> in the ocean. So that was an option, you know, put up stinger net and make our own little sort of private beach area. Cause he lived on a private beach and, um, you know, like I was just considering everything, but I was still <laughs> the idea of living in the ocean. So uh, you know, my head, and this is where it comes down to intuition, my head was going, no, 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 I want to go to Byron Bay. I've got lots of girlfriends there. One of my closest friends lives there. She can be with me at the birth and that would be wonderful and the beaches there are amazing. And Ron's energy was just so strong. I, it was like I, I remember laying in bed one night, going, my head's going, I want to go to Byron Bay. I want to give birth in the ocean. And my whole body is going, is saying to me, nope, you're going to the Daintree Rainforest. And, and I was just, in the end, I just went. And that's that's one of the things that you learn when you have these strong intuitions is do you listen to your head or do you listen to your heart? Mm. And I couldn't deny that the energy to go where he was was really, really strong. So, mm. so the whole plans for it happened within the last two months of the pregnancy. It was very sort of came together very, very quickly it, and so we f we flew there as a family a week before she was due, and we did go down to the beach. <laughs> it sounds funny, but we did. We looked at sort of you know the beach. We were sort of like, okay, what could we cordon off an area with stinger nets and everything? But what I didn't realise, what he hadn't told me, was that sometimes also the crocodiles come down to oh the beach. <laughs> occasionally <laughs> and I just sort of at that point went okay you know like I'm pretty adventurous but I'm not crazy no, no. 
<laughs> and also I was worried because if we had our two-year-old there, I just thought the stress of having to look after her and make sure she doesn't go into the water where the stingers are or she doesn't run off down the beach and I just went, you know, we've, it's, and that's the consideration when you've got a lot of kids. You're not just thinking about your baby being born. You, you're thinking about your other children and how to create a, a situation that's conducive to them and we really wanted the children to be there. So, And so we'd been swimming Every day, like the first day we got there, he took us down to the, the creek where we gave birth and um, just said, oh, this is where the locals swim. And by locals, I mean five, maybe ten people every other day. Like he lived quite, not remote, but there was, the houses were very, very, very far apart. And and so anyway, we went there and we loved it and the kids loved it and we started making rock pools and you know, we were just playing there every day and and then so we started to look around. He was driving us around to different locations because I said, you know, let's give birth in a river or something. And so we drove around. And then after a couple of days, I just went, you know what, I just I love the first place you took us. And that wasn't as we hadn't gone there as a scouting location. That was just where he'd taken us. But we just had so much fun there. I loved it. I loved the water. Um, it was five minutes from his house. It was next to a main road. Um, so it just felt really right and that ended up being the location. It was perfect. Wow. So it was near a main road then. So did you have, you know, I'm just thinking in terms of the plans and having not being entirely sort of silly and and unsafe. Did you have, was there sort of a backup plan that you had in place for this sort of birth? Yeah. So um, like I said, I, I didn't want any ultrasounds during my pregnancy and I hadn't had any with her and I hadn't planned to. But then when we decided we were going to travel, A, I needed um, permission from the airlines to travel so late in my pregnancy because we were flying out a week before I was due. Mm. And so I needed to go to the doctor and get um, a doctor's certificate, which just generally means they, you know, they look over you, check you know that you're healthy and that there's no complications and no reason why you can't fly. And... And then I decided that I would have an ultrasound because I, I thought I don't want to be, I don't want to be in birth and something goes wrong, and I it was within my power to know that I could that 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 was an issue. So what I was particularly, and I, I didn't think there was, but I just wanted to rule it out. So what I was particularly concerned about was placenta previa, which is where the placenta covers the cervix. So when the placenta covers the cervix, there's no way the baby's coming out, yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah, it's not an option. It's not even you just have to have a cesarean. You know, or something like the baby having a hole in its heart, something that, you know, quite mm. serious, which would mean that the baby would need immediate medical attention. So that were the only two things really I was concerned about. I mean, I know there's other issues that can happen, but I... Um, that was so a- breach, was breach a concern for you? No, no, no. not at all. No. So if baby was breached, you were happy to birth vagina Lee? Yeah. Yeah, not worried about that. Um, wasn't even really worried about shoulder dystocia, which is funny because I think she actually maybe had a little bit of that. That's why she needed some assistance. She's the only one that needed assistance out of any of my births. But I wasn't worried about those kind of things. I wasn't, you know, I, having the knowledge that I had and all the training, you know, of course I understand that things can go wrong at birth, but the kind of things that people really, really worry about, like shoulder dystocia or prolapse cord or, you know, I just breached. I, I knew pretty much how to manage those and Nick Nick um, was very, very good with medical stuff as a lay person. Um, he's highly, highly intelligent and his mother also had been in an accident and been in a wheelchair since he was 10 years old so he'd sort of learned a lot about biology and medical stuff and 
he was just very interested in that kind of thing. So I had a lot of trust and faith in him um, as just as a person, as, as my support person. And so, yeah, I had the ultrasound. That gave me a date, was that, which actually was accurate, even though it was a month out from the birth. It was, it was totally accurate. And, but I'd also had a dream that I was going to give birth that weekend. So with the ultrasound in my dream, I was confident that we could fly out a week before that, mm. that date. And, yeah, of course it could have happened any time. So how far were you from civilization? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was somewhere. Um, so, yes, so I also did some research of the area. So I knew that there was a hospital, which was a 30-minute drive. I Was that 1-3 you said, 13? 30, sorry. 3-0, oh, three, three, okay. Um, so I knew that, you know, we could reach a hospital within a decent amount of time. I mean, you know, it's no different to living in the country for some women. And there was also a helicopter pilot who lived in the area and there was a midwife, actually a male midwife. And it was funny because this, this theme kept on coming up that I was having males supporting me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ron's a guy and I'm a, de- a dear close friend, but, you know, it was like I was going to have Nick and I was going to have Ron. And then I looked up to find the local midwife and there was only one in the area and it was a male, <laughs> which is unusual in itself. And so, so I contacted the midwife. I just emailed him and said, look, you know, I'm planning to have an unassisted birth and I'm going to, you know, going to be in your area. I don't think that I'm going to need assistance, but if I change my mind at the last minute and I decide I need someone or if I, you know, I feel like I'm in labor and I really would like that support, would you be willing to come? And he, he wrote back and said, oh, you know, I'm actually not practicing at the moment as a midwife, but yes, you can absolutely call on me, which was lovely of him. Mm-hmm. And and I also contacted the helicopter pilot and told him that I was in the area for those two weeks and that I was probably going to be giving birth on this weekend and would he be in the area if I needed to call him for emergency um, to be taken to the hospital? And he was like, yes. So, you know, I did have some backup plans. Mm. Um, it's yeah. interesting your comment about the male support. And I'm just, you know, I, I can't help but think that it's this male energy that needed to compensate for this feminine energy that you were bringing to it to kind of make it whole and beautiful, you know? It was, yeah. <laughs> and it's my three little daughters, my daughters, that, you know, there yeah, as well. of course, of course. So, yeah, it sounds like you've kind of, you know, you've done your homework, you've done your research, you kind of, you're a doula, you, you've, you've got strong intuition. There's, you know, from, from what you're showing me, it sounds like not a no-brainer because the thing that's really going to stand between you and this it are going to be your own personal fears at the end of the day. So did you have any fears yes. of your own then when it came to, you know, doing this in nature? I, I did. My, my biggest fear, and, and this comes back to, you know, we're, so, we're taught so much to care what people think and, and it's funny because now I get so much media attention and a lot of it is positive, which is really great, but my biggest fear at the time was what if something goes wrong? I am going to be absolutely vilified in the media. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, I, I just, and I, I mean, a lot of people might say, oh, that's selfish, she's only thinking about herself. But, you know, like I really believed in what I was doing, having, you know, doing so much work around birth and the consciousness of birth. I really wanted to do something that was empowering for women, empowering for children. And I, and I probably don't, haven't spoken about that enough right now because there's so many aspects to this. But I really wanted to, give my child an experience of what it was like from the very first moment on life that when they came out onto this planet that they were coming out and knowing exactly who they were in relation to life and in relation to nature. We've so disconnected ourselves from nature, which is causing so many problems and 
you know, many, many different levels, including our health as a human population. And we're polluting the earth and we're destroying it. And I just was like, you know, I want my child, uh, you know, I have children because I want to create a better world. I, I want my children to make a contribution to this earth. And how can they make a positive contribution if they don't know what life on this planet is about, if they don't know who they are? And so, and, and what are the important things? And to me, understanding nature and our relation to life, whether it's the universe, whether it's as energetic beings, whether it's, you know, the fact that we are totally reliant on our environment and if we destroy it, we're destroying ourselves. So, but more than that, I just wanted my child to have this experience. You know, I, I say to people sometimes, you know, think, if you could think back to your birth and if you were given a choice, would you want to be born in a sterile, cold building with bright lights, clanging metal instruments, sharp instruments, people wearing surgical masks, strangers, you know, surrounding you and beeping machines in, in a feeling of fear and control or would you like to come out into a situation where you're surrounded by all the people that love you and are nurturing and warm and it's dimly lit and you're just held in this whole embrace of love and... You know, to me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Totally with you. And, and I wanted my child's first impression of life to be seeing sunlight and greenery mm. and hearing nature sounds and just for her whole body because they're so, you know, when these beings come out of our womb, they're so open psychically, energetically, emotionally, mentally, biologically. They're just these open beings that are just absorbing everything in that first moment especially. And I just wanted her to absorb the beauty of life. I just wanted her to know herself as one with all of creation. So, and to a lot of people that might sound flaky. To me, it's just, it's plain common sense that, you um, and so, and I really, really did feel that by doing what I was doing, that I was changing the consciousness of birth. I, I just felt that mm. the consciousness of birth, which I spoke about with my third pregnancy, which I was so aware of, which is so much about fear and control and, and I just, I, I wanted to change that. And I just thought this, by doing this, that somehow fundamentally I was, you know, changing our relationship and our knowledge about birth. So, but, you know, I was also very aware that things can go wrong and if something went wrong, no one would understand that. People still don't understand that. Um, you just have to read some of my YouTube comments to understand. <laughs> People are still very, very far removed from that kind of level of understanding and awareness. Mm. And so I knew that if anything went wrong, all that was going to happen was that I would just be all over the news. And it was interesting then towards the end of the pregnancy, there was a home birth in Australia, in Melbourne, where something did go wrong and the mother died. And, you know, the, I mean, the thing is that mothers and babies die in hospitals all the time and it never, ever reaches the news. But it happens once in a home birth and it was all over the news. It was nationwide, you know, it was... The midwife was being attacked, and you know there was this. It was an inquiry, and and so it, it was funny that I had that fear, and then it was actually happening in the news at the time. So that that was my only fear was that you know this this could you know here I am wanting to change the consciousness of birth, and I also could put it back. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was acutely aware of 
of what I was doing on that level um, for all humans. And I really did feel like I was giving birth for all humans and all women. Mm. But um, what about if things had, not had things gone wrong, um, you know, about how you would feel about that, even if a complication had arose that had you been somewhere else, something could have happened. Did you think about how you would be able to live with yourself or how that side of it? I, because... I'm someone who's all about self-responsibility in life. To me, um, being um, self-reliant, self-aware, self-educated means that I am self-responsible and that is everything. That's from the health of my children to my own health to education. And and so I had to really go very deep inside and say, well, if I'm going to be totally responsible for this birth then I have to be totally responsible for everything that happens including something that if it does go wrong and I really had to sit with that and say how would I feel if something happens for instance if the baby did die I I can't blame anyone you know it's I think there's this way that when we go when women go to hospital and I'm not making that wrong I'm just saying it's there's a there's a way that we can absolve responsibility where we put the whole birth into the hands of somebody else and then if it goes wrong, we can say we can blame them (laughs) or we can say it wasn't my fault whereas I was like this is totally all on me and can I live with that and I could, you know. Mm -hmm. And also because I felt that I was doing something that was bigger than me Mm -hmm. and, you know, when when you're doing something that feels bigger than you, you are motivated to go beyond your own personal fears, your own personal worries. So I really, really felt that what I was doing was very, very important. And so I was like, I live with it. I live with all the consequences, good or bad. So, And so now um, I know we, you know, if anybody hasn't seen the video yet, what on earth is going on? Watch the damn video already. 54 million people have. But tell me now, because obviously we don't hear you speaking. I'd love to hear you speaking about the birth, you know, when it when it um, started unfolding. But also I want to know how you dealt with those rocks. <laughs> they look really, really uncomfortable. That mat that you brought out didn't look half as thick enough. But yeah, do tell me about how the birth went for you. So my first birth was 24 hours. My second birth was 12 hours. My third birth was six hours. So each time they halved. So I had this idea in my head that, well, there's this pattern of them halving. My last <laughs> birth is going to be really quick. It's probably going to give me three hours. <laughs> so, That's exactly wrong. my thought process going for my first and my second. So it pleases me to hear you say that. I was wrong. Anyway, so... Um, so, yeah, like I said, we'd scouted locations and then we decided, well, then we're like, okay, so what happens if the baby comes at night? And we, you know, so we went down to the creek at night and it was really scary. <laughs> you got to remember it's rainforest, so there's like quite a thick tree canopy and there's this creek, which during the day seems quite wide and there's, you know, the creek and the banks of the creek and then there's trees. And it's probably not that wide, but, you know, it feels open and spacious. But at night, the trees kind of close over mm. the creek very spooky and there's no street lights and the lanterns yeah you can hear the and at night in the tropics because it's it's tropical up there you know and i would never been to the tropics before it is loud at night it's all the insects come out all the creatures come out at night it's actually really 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 loud (laughs) it was hard to sleep we you know it took some adjusting it was hot hard to sleep there's this kind of like you know forest orchestra going on at night so 
yeah, so I quickly, very quickly ruled out the, you know, I'm pretty fearless, but I'm not that fearless. So we're not giving birth at the creek at night. So I said, well, you know, I, I'd only ever given birth in water. My third one had been a birth pool at home as well. So I loved water. I always said, I don't know how women give birth on dry land. It's, I love the buoyancy of water. It, you know, conserves so much energy being in water because it holds you up and you don't have to hold yourself up and, I just I found that it eased so many of my pains. And so um, Ron had a bathtub, which he'd um, been mean to put out in his garden so he could, you know, bath, bathe outside in his forest because his, his house literally backed onto the forest. And um, so he just brought that to, under the eaves of the house so that we could um, have it there and fill it up if I needed to labour and give birth at night. So that's why the birth tub, that's what you see at the start of the video. And... And so I went to labour at about 11 o'clock at night on the Friday night and I was like, oh, okay, well, there goes my, you know, nature birth. I'm going to, you know, expecting a quick labour. I thought, okay, I'm going to give birth at night and at home in the bathtub and that was fine. And then, you know, comes morning, <laughs> I'm still labouring and, you know, I didn't get into the bath and, until sort of maybe about 6 a.m., and so I was laboring in the bath, for, I think, for a few hours till about 9 a.m. You know, still thinking totally. I, I just, by then I was so surrendered to the birth process and I was so in that very deep internal place that I'd completely let go of giving birth out at the creek. I just completely let go of it. I didn't think it was going to happen. And so I was just very much in my, you know, birth, birthing world. And at one stage I got out around nine o'clock to get out and walk around the lawn and the contractions were starting to feel very, very strong. And I remember at one point sort of crouching down, like, um, you know, squatting down on the ground on the grass and thinking, ah, oh, I could just like give birth right now on the grass. Like I could just deliver the baby on the grass. And it, that was a really nice thought. So I kind of realized I was close to transition because I was starting to think about pushing and, and because he backed onto forest, I was still, in nature, you know, I was, you know, there's no houses anywhere nearby. His house is right there on the forest on this beautiful lush green grass. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to give birth here. And because I found the bathtub quite narrow, I couldn't move around it. It was used to big birth pools. So I wasn't 100% comfortable, even though I was getting the the comfort of the water, I wasn't comfortable because I couldn't move around the bath. So I'd kind of thought, I don't think I can give birth in the bath. I don't know how women do it. I've seen footage of it. I just, I'm I'm kind of tall, like I'm, you know, almost five foot 10. So um, I just found it awkward. And Nick came over to me at that moment when I was squatting on the grass and I said, oh, you know, I think it's getting closer. And he just looked at me and he goes, do you want to go down to the creek? (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'd forgotten about that. And I'm like, okay. And so we hopped into the car, grabbed the birth birthing stuff and hopped into the car and it was a five-minute drive down and that five minutes felt like half an hour. <laughs> and I'd get down to the creek and we sort of had to walk because we didn't want to be right where this, like where most people swam. So we'd chosen a spot sort of around the corner. So we had to sort of walk along the creek and up, up, river, up river a little bit around the bend Um and I think that it actually slowed down my labor because it took another two hours for her to be born. So I think that I was very close to pushing, but I think moving location and it took it, it took me out of my, you know, being in that inner space where I was very deep within. 
And because I found those last two hours very, very, very hard, I was exhausted. I was so tired. And that's when I started to feel it was really hard to keep myself upright. So I know it doesn't look like it in the video and everyone's like, you're amazing. And and I look at back at it and I go, yeah, I was amazing because I was so tired, um, which is just shows how incredible women are. Mm. But, but I, you know, I found the water was too cool. We'd been swimming in the water and it was, it wasn't, birth pool temperature but it was not cold but the night before the day before and the night before it had rained non-stop so the water was quite fresh and it was quite cold and I just I tried I went into the water a couple of times and just went no you know it's too cold my body wouldn't open in it so um plus it wouldn't have it would have been a bit of a shock for the baby <laughs> so so then I was, and then I went, okay, I'm giving birth on dry land, and it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. And so at one point in the video, you see me sitting on the rocks because you know when we'd been playing there during the week as a family, we'd built this little you know rock pool, and and I was sitting on the rocks, and that was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I can imagine, just really, really, really uncomfortable. But it's just it's a it's a scene. And it's sort of cut, and I guess there's no context for it, but it's a scene where I had gone in the water to see if I could handle the temperature, and and I was and I yeah, so I'd, I'd gone in the water, went no, it's too cold, but then a contraction hit, so I'm sitting on the edge of these rocks <laughs> as contraction <laughs> pity, and I was like, well, I couldn't wait to get off those rocks. So I bet, I bet, but um. But at, but at the end, because we got, you know, some camping, just some rubber mats from the camping store so that I wouldn't have to actually be on the rocks and had somewhere soft to, you know, and, and they were fine. They were quite thick rubber mats and and they were cushiony enough and they were fine enough. So, mm. yeah, that's – and I don't know why one – because there was one over on the rocks, not in the water, and I don't know how that one ended up in the water and I don't know how I ended up there. I just – I look back now, I'm like, oh, because there was two mats. There was one sort of just a little bit in the water. I think it's time so I just wanted to cool down a little bit because mm. you get – it was quite hot. It's the tropics. And even though it was 9 – well, by then it was 11 a.m., you know, it was in the morning. It wasn't as hot. But it was it was warm and, of course, labour makes you very hot. So every now and then I just go and dip my feet in the water and that's where I end up giving birth. And so there's footage as well too where, where she's coming out because her head comes out and then I, I – for whatever reason, I get this urge to flip over onto my back and I don't know why. That just happened. I wasn't thinking about it. And because I knew that there was a tiny bit of water at, on the mat, I was really, really concerned that as I was laying there that her face might have been in the water. Now, the whole thing about water births is when they're born into the water, so your whole lower body is submerged and they're born into the water, there's, they don't get the reflex to take a breath until their face hits the surface. So um, sometimes you see footage of water bursts and they allow the baby to sort of float around the water for, you know, maybe 10, 30 seconds. I've seen one even up to a minute um, before they bring the baby out. And so the, the reflex to take a breath doesn't actually happen until they're brought to the surface. But because I knew that there was only a little bit of water, I thought even if, they, even if the baby's face was in the water, because I was moving around, it could be coming in and out of the water. The baby could take, have a reflex to breathe and then, you know, be in shallow water. So you hear me say, is the baby's face in the water? <laughs> so I was, quite, I was quite aware. Like even though I was very much in my, in my birthing instinct, I was, I was also aware of what was happening mm. with the birth itself. 
And as you're going through both, I mean, you know, obviously it's a shortened video for quite an extended period of time. But did you, I mean, I I didn't experience pain during my labour, but I did appreciate having little massages on my back or somebody, you know, being up close and getting some tactile kind of attention. Did you have anything like that? Because it looked like you were very much alone. Um, For some reason, in my third birth, Nick was constantly touching me and very connected. Um, He was very in tune with me. He'd know when a a contraction was starting even before, you know, sometimes I knew. Like he was very, very at one with me and he was in the birth pool with me and I felt like we were giving birth together. It was was that close and in, in sync with each other because I look back and there was something in me that was so independently I want to do this on my own without any help that I had actually asked Nick to back off. I had something in me that just said, this is going to be me totally on my own, no support. And, of course, I needed support. They were in the perimeter, but I didn't want I didn't want to be touched. I didn't want to be held up. I, I didn't want anything. And looking back, that probably wasn't the best thing. <laughs> But that's where I was at at the stage. So I can't make it wrong because that's what I wanted at that time. Yeah. Having Looking back now, I'm like, oh, my God, having a midwife there makes a huge difference. Having women around you, have you know, have being touched and massaged. Now I know the difference because I've had both. But it was what I wanted at the time. And I think you have to, you know, respect that every woman is different and every birth is different and what she wants in each birth. So at that time... I was like, don't touch me, don't, you know, I just didn't want him. But he was there. I mean, he was he was always around me. He was videotaping, obviously. He was always acutely aware of what was going on. Ron, poor Ron. <laughs> he, was, he was fine. But I think that because I said I'm probably going to have a quick labour, he started to get very worried towards the end because it was taking what he thought was long. I mean, it ended up being just under 12 hours. I think it was about 11 and a half hours. My first one had been 24 hours, so I wasn't concerned at all. But I could feel his fear. Mm. And that, I think, also slowed me down because even though I wasn't talking to him, I could feel his fear. And being a journey practitioner, I also know that it would have been good to have someone there who was there as an, as an emotional support who's aware. And this is a, this is a role often a doula takes is and I've done this when I've attended births is that you not are just aware of the mother but you're also aware of the people around you so for instance I've been at a birth which was progressing very slowly and I could feel the father's fear so I took him out and helped him drop through his fear mm. and then when he let go of his fears and he came back her labor started to progress mm. so you know I was aware of Ron's fear but I couldn't articulate it because I'm so much in my own birth process. But I just think that you know, having somebody else there who could have seen yeah. that and helped support him would have been helpful to me as well. So, I mean, these are all the kind of things you look back in yeah. hindsight. And what about pain? Did you experience pain at any point during that birth? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't look, I mean, you seem to be, considering you're out in nature, you know, you could have easily gone the whole primal making lots of great noises out there. And it, it seemed like you're incredibly calm. I'm, I'm not a woman who gives makes noise in birth. Um, that's just me, though. I'm not very vocal mm. in that way um, because I go so deep within. Mm. And it, for me, and I think for some women it's fantastic, I actually encourage making noise if that's what you want to do. But for me, I'm so deeply inside me, I'm so, so deep inside that it would feel like it would 
require energy for me to to bring it up and out, you know, and it would take me out of myself again. But that's me. So I'm a very silent birther. Um, Some women, for them, roaring and being vocal is very, very helps them move the energy in a really powerful way. So there's no right or wrong. You've got to do what feels right for you. Um, Yeah, it was was painful. But what was harder was how tired I was because I was having Mm. to keep myself upright. And because I'm someone who likes to squat a lot, that's what my body likes to do during birth. That felt really hard having to squat mm. <laughs> and hold myself upright during contractions. Yeah. And also my contractions never came very close in that one. I think this is why it was very much like my first birth where my contractions never really got closer than three minutes apart. So that sort of really drags it out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it makes it very tiring. So how did you handle the pain when it was um, when you were experiencing that? What were you kind of... I suppose in your head, what were you doing or emotionally or how are you sort of getting through that? I just, I, I ride it like a wave. So I, I go into it more. There's a, there's a natural way that you want to. I remember reading with my first pregnancies in some pregnancy book that it said that the more you're in fear, the more, like when, when we're in fear, we tense up because your muscles are contracting, ready to fight or flight. So they said if you have a lot of fear in pregnancy, your muscles are contracting, which is the exact opposite to what your body wants to do. Your, bo- your body wants your muscles to relax and open so that you can deliver this baby. So it was something that I learned in my first pregnancy and I always remembered. So it's very natural to fear pain and our natural reaction that we've been programmed is to resist it and, and tighten our bodies against it. So for me, what I consciously just tell myself is to relax, to open, relax, open, relax, open, relax, surrender. And I just keep on reminding myself that not – and I become very aware of my body and any parts that are holding on and contracting, resisting against the fear. And then for me, I just imagine it as this big – almost like a shape, I guess, sort of this big tunnel I have to go through. <laughs> and, and so rather than trying to get away from it, I actually go into it. So I imagine myself diving into it. Sometimes I actually imagine them as big crashing waves in the ocean. So mm-hmm. I imagine this big crashing wave coming over me. And you know, like when you're at the ocean and you're about, and there's a big wave and you're going to get dumped. Yep. You don't stand there and let it dump you. You know that you're actually safer if you dive deep down underneath it. Yeah. And so that's how I often imagine contractions is diving deep into it and then through it and coming out the other side because there's no way you can avoid it. Yeah. And, and that helps. That helps a mm, lot. Mm, move with it rather than against it. Mm. So um, when, I mean, just tell me about the, the moment when I was watching it. it I, I can't, I, every time I watch a birth now, I get really tearful and emotional because it's such a beautiful <laughs> moment. But tell me about that moment when little one came out. Well, like I said, she actually got a little bit stuck. So I, I was squatting. She Her head came out and I felt the waters break at the same time. And it's funny because my other births had been in water. I'd never, ever felt my waters break because it, it just didn't feel it in the water and it um, didn't hear a pop or hit, feel any sensation. So I remember feeling her head starting to come out. I put my hand there and I could feel her head and all of a sudden this gush of water came out. And I'm like, oh, my waters are broken. And then as soon as the head actually came out, I had a strong urge to flip over onto my back and so I was kind of like half leaning back. And then this cold, I don't want to say fear, it was just this cold rush went through me 
And I heard myself saying, Nick, I need help. And I didn't know what it was, but then you see in the video, he quickly hands the video camera to Ron and he comes and he, he starts. He doesn't actually pull. It looks like he's pulling, but he's actually add, just adding a little bit of traction. Mm. And I think what had happened looking back, um, not entirely sure, but I think that her body did not fully rotate and I think that her shoulder was just a little bit stuck. And so by him offering just a little bit of, of a pull, she was able to wiggle herself out. And there's actually one moment where I felt him pulling her and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Um, that felt horrible. I hated that feeling. It was just so minute, but I could feel him pulling and I did not like that. All I wanted him to do was just offer some pressure so that when the next mm. contraction came, I could um, push her out. And then she came out. And I just pulled her up onto me and immediately looked down. And I'm like, yep, of course it's another girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't know what it was then? No, and of course not because no scam. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Well, no, I did have a scam, but I didn't want to find out. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, and, you know, I wasn't surprised. I always hoped for a boy, but I was not surprised to have another girl. And But I was so tired. I know in the video it sounds like I'm going, oh, another girl. (laughs) It's not disappointment. That's just exhaustion. (laughs) I can imagine. You've missed out on a whole night's sleep, you know, and and holding yourself up. I mean, squatting is seriously hard work. Did you sort of train, like do physical training with your squats beforehand? Uh, no, I had a toddler. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> squat a lot. Oh, and the thing with the rocks too is I do a lot of barefoot walking. So, um, and I, you know, we had we we're lucky where we lived. We had a lot of um, gravel pathways and, and sort of golf courses and parkland and everything. So I used to walk on the grass and everything a lot. So I kind of have tough feet. Mm. And um, but so being on barefoot, people see the rocks that that didn't actually hurt me. That no. didn't bother me at all because. It's not that I trained for it, it's just that's who I am. I like to work, walk barefoot on in nature. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, no, she came out and I was just I was just tired. And then and then I'm holding her and because I'm so exhausted, I was actually finding it really hard to hold her. And um and Nick keeps on saying to me, put her lift her up, put her head up. And I'm just like so tired. I actually couldn't understand what he was saying <laughs> and all he wanted me to do was just just to tilt her up a little bit so because she was making those kind of you know those natural gurgling noises mm. that they make when they're first breathing and they've still got you know a bit of amniotic fluid in their lung lungs I mean she'd already taken a breath I knew she was breathing but he just wanted her airways to clear by putting her a bit more upright and I had her just sort of lengthways and so he's saying you know hold her up hold her up and I just didn't even understand what he was saying I was so tired because <laughs> from where I was because looking down she looked fine to me but he was looking from you know the other angle and so he mm. wanted me just to talk up a little bit and yeah, so yeah. I, I, I listened to myself in the video and I go I must sound like a moron like here I am People are going, who's this idiot giving birth? It's just I was really, really tired. <laughs> and she was fine. There was nothing wrong with her. But So Nick's just trying to say, yeah, lift her up a little bit. You and didn't look that she... tired, though. That's the thing. You <laughs> don't look that tired. So, yeah. <laughs> you looked amazing. I mean, did you get the whole buzz thing going on after that birth? But... Not, not until we got back. So it took me an hour to deliver her placenta. And that's unusual. All the other times had come out within half an hour. And I think that I was just so exhausted. And I also had, and this is my other irrational fear, I had this irrational fear that I would go through all of this, like all of this flying to the top of Australia from the bottom of Australia, you know, all the 
you know, preparation for this labor, this sort of different thing that I was doing that was quite radical. And I'd give birth to a baby and then I would get, my placenta would get stuck and I'd have to go to hospital. <laughs> you know, sort of, I sort of had this nightmare that I'd go through all this and still have to go to hospital. So um, I had this fear that the placenta would not come out. And so I think that's actually why it took an hour to deliver. And, and funnily enough, um, and everybody by then, they were just sort of like packing up all the stuff and, you know, Nick was holding the baby. Oh, no, he must have been holding the baby. No, I was holding the baby because it was attached to the cord, sorry. Um, no, Nick was, like, looking after the kids and they were packing out the video equipment and all the stuff that we brought down and and I'm just sitting there trying to waiting for the placenta to deliver and holding the baby and I'm by then I'm really exhausted. And, and nobody tells you this but you go through all these contractions to give birth to the baby and the baby comes out and you're like, oh, it's over. And then you have contractions to give birth to the bloody placenta. I know, it's not talked about enough, is it? It's awful. And nobody tells you. I mean, I've done it four times, but you still just sort of, there's a part of you that forgets. And that's not fun. It really Mm. just isn't fun. Mm. And there's no joy in it. There's no, oh, I'm going to give birth to a baby. It's like, oh, I'm going to give birth to a placenta. It's like, and so, yeah, and then it wasn't until many, many months later that my older daughter um, said, Mom, I was really, really scared when you, and she said, everybody else was just busy when you were giving birth to the placenta. She said, but I was really scared. I was actually, she said, she said, I, I thought you were going to die. Wow. And I was like, really? Like I said, that's when you thought I was going to die when I was giving birth to the placenta? She said, yes. And I said, oh, honey, I said, you must have picked up on my fear. I said, I didn't think I was going to die, but I really did have this fear um, that somehow the placenta was going to get stuck and I'd have to go to hospital and get it manually removed. And so she picked up on it. And mm. that's that's what I teach people. We're very, you know, sensitive creatures. We do pick up on things, thought forms and energies from other people. We just haven't been trained to realise that. So I delivered the placenta. We hop back in the car. We go back to Ron's house, which is five minutes down the road. And, and then I was starting to feel, you know, much better. And I didn't have much blood loss and which was good because I did have quite a lot in my first birth. And and then we get back and we examine the placenta and the bit that comes apart from where it comes apart from the uterus wall is often um, quite kind of rough because it's separated from the uterus wall. And so there was kind of some chunky bits there. I know this sounds really gross to most people. Um, but I decided I'd never done this before. Um, we were doing another lotus birth where we kept the placenta attached, the cord attached to the baby. But um, we decided this time I was going to have some of the placenta. And I didn't want to do placenta encapsulation, which I know is wonderful. It's I highly recommend placenta encapsulation. And you can do it with a lotus birth, but I had decided not to. But I just decided to have a little bit of a placenta smoothie. And so Nick just broke off a chunk. He, he didn't even have to cut it because there was a chunky bit there and he went and I just said blended up with lots and lots of berries. I said, <laughs> I said not, it wasn't, I said, it's not only that I, the, the color, I didn't want to say the color, but I said, uh, no, it wasn't just the taste. I wasn't really worried about the taste. It was the color. I was like, yeah. I don't want to know that it's a placenta smoothie. So, uh, <laughs> and I give said, me two and don't tell me which one it's in. <laughs> <laughs> I said, make it really, really red. Use lots of berries. So, And you couldn't taste it. You literally mm. could not taste it. But you know what? Considering this was my fourth birth and I had my hardest pregnancy, I really, really, really had to thought that pregnancy was going to kill me and I was 39 years old I bounced back physically from that pregnancy better than any of the others I was I felt 
so good and physically was much stronger, didn't have um, the baby blues. I mean, you know, I had to get up. And I think one of the reasons, you know, I was really determined to have some of the placenta was because I knew I had to get onto a plane a week later and, and go back. So, um, so yeah, and then, of course, I was like, damn, I wish I kept more of the placenta because <laughs> so, that was the only bit that we kept and that I had. And when I, when I felt the benefits, I was like, oh, I should have kept more. <laughs> should have frozen some. But, um, so hang on a minute. You're doing a lotus birth. I'm also interested in the lotus birth. But how, So how long did the placenta stay attached to baby? Because I'm thinking, did you, did you take all this on a plane? <laughs> no, no. So with my third birth, which is the first time I did lotus birth, okay. she, let the, she let go of the cord after two days. Oh, okay. It actually wasn't quite ready to come off, but that's very much her nature. She's um, very, very independent. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, she, hers, she kicked it off after two days. But um, Peru's kept hers on for five days, and by then I was over it. it is, it's not convenient. Um, it, mm. But I kind of like it because it does kind of force you to really slow down mm. and take things very slow. So I like it because, well, there's many, many reasons, and I highly recommend um, a book by um, called Lotus Birth by Rashana. I can't remember who, the full title of it, but it explains all the benefits of why to lotus birth. But, yeah, she kept hers for five days and I was starting to get worried because I knew we had to fly out after seven days. But on the fifth day she it, it, she let go of it. And in the tropics it did start to smell a little bit because it was warm. <laughs> but um, we salted it and put um, – I had dried lavender and put dried lavender and then salted it. And you just have to keep on changing the wrappings around it because it does it does take time for it to dry out. And so the last day, the day before we left, um, we went down, back down to the creek and that was the first time I left the house in five, six days. And we buried her placenta back near the spot where she was oh, born. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. very beautiful. Oh, wow. Well, it's just been, I've just noticed the time how long we've been speaking. <laughs> And there are so many more things I'd love to ask you. I'm just, you know, conscious of how long we have been speaking. Um, and so in terms of that birth, how, how was that in the, in the, I don't know, like when you got back home, how was it, did it feel different for you compared to the other ones in the, in the post-birth period? Now, having done that, having kind of, you know, done your dream, as it were. Um, you know, it made me even more acutely aware and conscious of how we live our modern lives. So, for instance, you know, being, and of course you're always, yeah, everybody knows that when you're on holidays you're always more relaxed and, you know, then you have to, you get that feeling when you come back to, you know, civilization and you're suddenly back on your iPhones and back on your computers and back in the rush of everything. It's, it can be quite jarring. But I remember because it was very hot where we were, for the first week of Peruza's life she'd only been in a nappy and, and so it was like the first when I had to go back on the plane, I had to dress her for the first time, and I really just didn't like that feeling. She just was so new and precious, and we'd just been so at one with nature. I almost felt apologetic to this new baby that I had to introduce her to this, you know, back to the cities and cars and smog and pollution and busy, busy, busy live and, and it's just like I, and getting back on the plane and walking through the airport and there's all these people and loud noises and I was just like, it. you know, I knew what my intent was and I knew why I had wanted to give this baby a very gentle 
entrance into the world. But when you're actually doing it, when you actually have done it, and then having to go back and take her to the airport where there's all these people rushing around and there's people who, you know, you can tell people who are very embodied in their body and are happy. And then, yeah, you just have to walk through a supermarket or an airport or a shopping centre and you can tell the people who energetically just don't feel good, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not whole in themselves and, they're, and they've got a horrible energy and, and it's jarring and people can be rude and, you know, that's life. And, of course, this child has to learn how to live in that life. I'm not saying that, you know, we're just going to go and live on a remote island and not see anyone. But when you've got this beautiful beautiful new innocent being it makes you so much more acutely aware of how desensitized we become to things that are unhealthy for us Mm. and so i really as much as i could with three other kids just really slowed down i'm very um i'm very much a proponent for the first year of a baby's life that the mother slow down as much as she can and really live according to the baby's schedule. (laughs) And that's hard. I know that can often be almost impossible, especially then when you've got older children, you're going to take them to school and, you know, it's not so easy. But I find that when I do that, I'm happier. And I find that naturally my energy doesn't really want to come out is much more internal and doesn't want to come out into the world until about the baby turns about one or when the baby starts walking. So I find that over the year I become more and more interested in external affairs again, whereas for that first year I'm just very engrossed with the baby and my own rhythm and, you know, I like, you know, if the baby's not sleeping at night, I like to be able to sleep during the day if I can, you know, like I sort of just like to just gently ease baby into life and myself back into life as well. And then I find when the baby starts walking and it's ready to explore the world and it's ready to leave mum, that's when some a shift happens in me and suddenly I'm ready to start socialising again and talking mm. to people and, and getting on my computer and being interested in, in external affairs again. So mm-hmm. so at what point did you decide that you are going to upload and share your, your birth video? Did you do um, it straight away or did you kind of hold no, on to it for a while? No, it's, we took the birth video because we wanted to have a birth video and there was in the back of my mind there was I might share this but it wasn't any definite idea. I just sort of thought, yeah, I might share this. But like I said, for the first year I'm so just at one with the baby and I had a toddler and I was very um, occupied with mothering and so I didn't really think about it. And then as her first birthday approached, Um, I just thought it would be really nice for me to sit down and look at that footage, which I'd never looked at. I think it was about eight hours worth. And I thought it would be nice to sit down and edit it down and give it to Nick as a present on Peruse's first birthday. And so he gave me the raw footage and, I mean, he was in IT. I didn't know how to do it. I'd never done anything like that before. So he did help me. But it took me about two days to go through the footage and really edit it down and, you know, I to, to do it justice, I, I, I did keep it to 22 minutes, which is quite long. And I, I thought not everyone's going to want to sit there for 22 minutes, but I, I just felt that it would not give it do it justice if I made it any shorter. And and so it was when we were editing it that we started to talk. And, of course, we were watching the footage and we are reminiscing about the birth and talking about the pregnancy. And we just... we just thought, okay, this is something that we want to share with others for, for many reasons. We'd watch home birth videos and they'd helped us because it helped our two-year-old, prepare our two-year-old for watching a birth. 
Um, that's how we'd ascertained whether she was comfortable with birth or not was by showing her some YouTube home birth videos. So we were grateful to all the other parents that had shared their home birth videos um, and we knew that it did help us, so we thought ours would help people. And then it came back to that whole thing, which was that I really did want to change the consciousness of birth and help people become aware. And because it hadn't been an easy birth, it had been painful, it had been long, if it had been in the hospital, it would have just been considered a a normal birth, you know, no complications but not exactly orgasmic or easy either. And I just thought, you know, I really wanted people to see what real birth looks like. And I know people think it looks easy, but it it was hard for me. And so I just thought, and I thought if people see what real birth looks like, but it's a different setting, it's not a hospital setting, it will normalise it for them in a different way. And so for me it's like it's a birth, but instead of the backdrop being a hospital, the backdrop's nature and it reframes birth. And that's what I wanted to share with people was this reframing of birth and bringing it back to something that's normal, not something that we have to control or feel like it's a disease or a sickness that we have to fix. And at what point did you get a whiff that this was talking up, <laughs> talking up? Like, like I don't know. Did you go into YouTube regularly and see where it was at in terms of views? Like, were you even thinking about that, or did you sort of go in a few months later, check and go, "Oh my god, what's going on here?" Like, what? Tell me about that. Well, I was very, very naive. So I've never, I've never edited a video before, and I've never put anything up on YouTube. And I remember looking. I looked at the other home birth YouTube videos, and yeah, there were some that 20,000, there were some that were 50,000. I kind of looked around and because, you know, you type in the keywords home birth, natural birth, and um, and I think the most, the one that I could find with the most hits at that time was around 200,000. I thought, oh, well, that's a lot. You know, all the others are getting 20,000, 50,000. This one's 200,000. I was like, okay, well, you know, if I get that much, that would be great, you know, but it's not like I was trying to compete. I just was like, you know, looking and seeing what they were getting to have some idea what mine might get. <laughs> so 200,000 and 54 million is a big difference. But, um, and again, I'm naive. So I decided when I put it up to share it on my Facebook page and forgetting that I've got a lot of friends because most of the people that appear on my news feed as, you know, the logarithm is for Facebook are the people that I mainly talk to our pages I mainly look at so I'm thinking I'll share it with close friends and my all my doula networking birth people that are on my Facebook um, page and so I shared it and like literally within an hour there was already 500 views I'm like and I sat there and went I didn't even know I had 500 friends (laughs) and I suddenly went oh my god this is like this was really stupid but I just went oh my god people have seen it like my old school friends I just just suddenly went people are watching it that are not birth oriented because I just (laughs) thought I just thought it was people the kind of people that would watch it would be the kind of people that are pregnant you know parents to be who want so I'm thinking the only people that are going to watch my birth video are people who are interested in birth because they're expecting a child and it was very very naive of me (laughs) So, and then the next, I think within the next couple of days, it, all, it went up to 5,000 just in a couple of days. And I went, oh, okay. And then it was, and then I just watched it climb and climb and climb. And look, it was it was two and a half years ago, so I can't remember how quickly, but I remember it getting to 500,000 and, and I just went, I kind of freaked out and went, that's a lot of people. And that was within a few months. 
And I think it's, I think within six months, and I can't remember exactly, but it hit a million and that felt massive. And then just steadily started to climb. And then I think after a year, maybe 18 months, it hit 16 million. And I, I honestly, I kept on raising the benchmark. I kept on going, oh, it won't get to 5 million. It won't get to 10 million. It won't get to 15 million. <laughs> Got to 16 million. I'm like, okay. It's, I'm like, it's going to get to 20 million and then it's going to stop. Like, it's just, you know, it can't go that high. And then, and then it went a bit viral at 16 million. Um, some American reality show decided to make a TV series called Born in the Wild. And apparently they were inspired by my video. They never contacted me. It had nothing to do with me. And, but because this reality show was being made, it hit the news. And so it jumped from 16 million to 19 million, I think, in two weeks. And at that stage, then I started to go, okay, it's, it's, I just let go of how much, how high it was going to reach. And I think the, the kind of thing is too that, you know, once it gets a lot of hits in YouTube, it starts to get, become, to pop up in people's, mm. um, in that little sidebar that's on YouTube where it shows other videos that you can watch. I think the more popular it got, the more it started to appear in other people's. So then it just started, you know, more and more people were watching it and, and I learned a lot. Like I used to read all the comments. I don't anymore because it's just too many. I can't keep track. But I used to read all the comments and moderate it. And I learned a lot of interesting things, you know, a lot of interesting responses. There's apparently men out there with fetishes for watching pregnant women give birth. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, so I really got to see that there were so many more levels of our ideas around birth, whether or not you're expecting. And I always say this to people that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't, you know, we've all had, we've all had the experience of being born. So it speaks to people on so many levels because we've all been born mm -hmm. and whether you can remember it or not, and most people can't remember their birth, your body remembers. Mm -hmm. So because your body remembers your birth experience, it's going to evoke different responses in different people. And so, you know, I, I get people who are very hateful and, and very, very horrible and I just think, and I just sit back and I go, I wonder what your birth experience was like. So how does it feel now, you know, when you set out to, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to dabble with the consciousness of birth and here you are having kind of, you know, really delivered something that really has <laughs> triggered a debate and, and really opened up that conversation, shown people what's possible, or not what's possible because it's always been that way. But certainly in today's age where we've forgotten, as you say, we've become disconnected from all that. How does it feel sort of looking back of what you've achieved in that sense? I feel so privileged. I, I'm someone who constantly offers myself in service to life and in service to others so I you know I had a big prayer and I did I before I gave birth to her I just kept on praying to life and you know I, I'm not religious I don't believe in God but I believe in something that's bigger than us that you know does have that is in control and even if it's just the natural order of the universe and I just kept on praying to life and saying please use me you know I I want I want things to be better for humanity, and I and I do believe that it starts with birth, and so 
uh, and because I didn't have a plan to release the, the birth video, that, that was just procession. That was just, and so now I just feel so blessed because I just say to life, wow, you, you use me above and beyond anything that I could have expected. Mm-hmm. And I just feel so, so privileged. And it doesn't feel like it's me. It feels like all I did was I, I opened and allowed life to move through me. You know, I, I couldn't have done this on my own. There's, it's not me. I didn't do this. I did not create the human body. I did not create the birth process. This is just me saying life moved through me and thank you for doing all this through me. Thank you for allowing these children to be born through this vessel of my body. And it just feels so big. I, I couldn't have conceived of this. I couldn't have planned it. I mean, you know, there's people out there who are always trying to maximize their YouTube videos. And I'm like, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do it. You know, I just trusted. I trust everything in life and I just put myself there and make myself available and then what happens. So this is bigger than me and I just feel very, very grateful. And it just talks back a bit to what we were saying earlier about not planning in it, not being in control, just surrendering and letting it be and moving from moment to moment. And that's exactly what you've done with this here too. Yeah, absolutely. It's all the same. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts you get from giving birth is that you learn how to live life. If you can do birth, then you can do life because it's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, um, Simone, thank you so much for sharing all that. And again, like like I said, I could be asking you so many more questions, but I think I'll have to wrap it up now. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) That's okay. It's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything else that you'd like to, I mean, you know, share your website or something or, you know, anything else you'd like to share about yourself to, if anybody wants to find out more. Well, my website is still newly up. I'm still working on it. It, um, this, this thing going viral again the last couple of weeks has given me a kick up the bum. So, you know, I'm pretty lazy. I'm not business oriented at all. I really am not. So I just like to be at home with my children and that's pretty much it. But I do do Skype um, journey sessions with people. So wherever someone is in the world, if they want to do a Skype session with me with the, uh, using the journey or any kind of mentoring, I do do that. So I do work from home. I used to have a practice in Melbourne. I don't have one here. So my website is www.earthbirthmethod.com. Okay. So it's um it's earth birth because to me birth is more than just your it's not just about me. It's not just about birth. It's about who we are as humanity. So that's why I've called it earth birth. And the method is just you get to make up your own method of how you want to give birth. You know, don't be limited by what you're told or what you think is the status quo, you can mix and match. You can do whatever you want. You can go and have all the doctor's appointments and then have a baby at home. You can have no doctor's appointments and then go to the hospital. You know, like it's you can create your own birth how you want to do it by picking and choosing. You don't ever have to be limited to what other people tell you you have to do or don't have to do. So so it's all about empowering a woman to do what's right for her and for her baby, for herself, for her family. Mm. And so I'm not here to preach to anyone about what, you know, obviously I have my own my own philosophies and my own beliefs, but I really am here to support women finding out what's right for them, however that appears. And that's what it means to be a daughter as well anyway. So. Mm. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Simone, again, once again, for Thank joining me you. here on the Fear Free Childhood podcast. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Simone sharing her birth story, her birthing wisdom, and everything else, her views on so much more than birth too. Um, it feels like 
there's you know this that interview alone just kind of encapsulates my whole philosophy about about birth and how taking the time to prepare being conscious really preparing emotionally and mentally can really bring dividends and that's not to say that we're all going to go and birth in a stream but what's important is to just be able to approach your birth fearlessly and be calm and confident in your own decisions around birth and to be in tune with your baby and your body so that when you make those decisions, you know intuitively and within you that that they are good decisions and you'll be able to live with those decisions. And that is what is going to help you to have a positive birth. You know, what I want more than anything is for women to have these positive births so that every time their children have a birthday, they are reminded of an experience that is positive for them and that doesn't feel negative or draining or traumatic or or any of those negative things. You know, we just don't need that in our lives when we're raising little human beings that are just bundles of joy, you know. So I hope that this interview, listening to Simone, was inspiring. And certainly when she said she set out to change the consciousness of birth, I really do think that she is achieving that and she will continue to do that based on how many more women are probably going to see that birth. Now, this uh, episode is the last one before the summer break. So I will see you guys back in the autumn. Until next time. Bye for now. You've just been listening to me, Alexia Leachman, here on the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this is just a wee reminder that if you'd like to listen to bonus podcast episodes and have access to loads of birth preparation downloads, my video mini-series on reducing your fears and so much more, then join the Fearless Mamership community today. You can join at fearfreechildbirth.com. Until next time, bye for now.